0: All right, so it's several weeks past when I was hoping to have this one done, but it's finally done. Uh, I've had a chance to really dig into the actual official results from Maine's November 3rd election. And I've compiled everything I'm about to talk about into a few spreadsheets that are now available from the website, themainpolis.com. It includes every single town in Maine. uh, So you can go check that out if you want to get real nerdy about it or just curious about how your own community uh, broke down on the election. Okay, first off, the final tally stands at 435,072 for Joe Biden, and Trump got 360,737. So in Maine, Biden beats Trump by 74,335 votes, which also works out to be 77,337 more than what Hillary got in 2016 and it's more than 13,000 more than what Obama got in Maine in 2008, and over 33,000 more than what Obama got in 2012. So, Biden apparently kicked ass, despite a decades-long history of promoting international trade agreements that hurt Maine, promising to step up pressure on places like Syria and North Korea, something that, given Maine's high per capita number of enlisted men and women, should be a concern, Openly arguing for strict regulations and even limitations on semi-automatic rifles, and publicly agreeing with people like Pete Buttigieg when calling for an Australian-style firearm confiscation program. Something that, historically, Mainers tend to be against. And if you doubt that, just look at what happened when Janet Mills tried to say gun shops weren't essential. And then, despite all of that, along with never actually stepping foot inside Maine during his campaign... More Mainers voted for Joe Biden than any other candidate in Maine's 200-year history. And so, where did all these Biden voters come from? It's what I tried to answer last time, and basically put up the theory that between November 2016 and July 2020, tens of thousands of unenrolled registered voters decided to go join the Democrat Party, combine this with a very high voter turnout in a number of southern and coastal communities that also happened to be in the state House districts that were unopposed Democrat seats. Now, where I'm going to tweak my theory is where I thought the bulk majority of Biden's voters would have come from. Uh, The voter registration stuff I went over last time, with the Democrats getting these thousands and thousands of new members, even picking up former Libertarians somehow, that was all from Maine's Secretary of State data, and I stand by that still. But the stuff focusing on unopposed House districts, And that part, that part was based a lot on what the AP was projecting at the time. And now that I've analyzed the real numbers, I can adjust that theory a bit, uh, because now I'm not as convinced the bulk came from the some 20% of state house districts that happen to have candidates running unopposed. And if you had listened to the last episode, I got one correction in the last show. I said that district 37 was the only house district in Portland with an opponent, But I was wrong there. House District 42 was actually a three-way race. It wouldn't really change any of the number predictions that I had made, and the Democrat ended up winning that race. So nothing really changed there. So, all right, let's get back to the original question then. Biden beat Trump by over 74,000 votes. He got over 77,000 more than Clinton did in 2016, more than any candidate in Maine's history. So how did he do it? Which counties, which communities? Who did Biden inspire to come out in record numbers? And this is how we're going to figure it out. First, we need to figure out how many people voted for either Biden or Trump this time, but didn't vote for Trump or Clinton last time. Take that number and figure out how many from that group of voters went for Biden and how many of them went for Trump. The second thing is run those numbers for every single county and town in Maine and see where exactly Biden's record-breaking surge in Maine came from. So, the first thing we gotta do is take the difference between what Trump got this time compared to what Trump got last time. That comes to 25,144. So, I'm gonna call it 25,000. And take that and add it to the difference between what Biden got compared to Clinton. It comes to 77,337. So, take that 77,000 plus voters and add them with Trump's additional 25,000 plus voters. And we have a voter pool that has to have at least 102,481 to explain both Trump and Biden's increase from 2016 race. So that's 102,481 additional voters that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump in 2016, but they decided to vote for either Biden or Trump in 2020. But that just tells us how big our voter pool is. We still need to fill it uh, full of voters that Biden and Trump can pull from. And it needs to be equal to 102,481 in order to explain the additional voters Biden and Trump got compared to the Clinton and Trump results last time. A pool of voters filled with voters that, if they voted at all in 2016, wasn't for Clinton or Trump. So, let's start with people that didn't vote at all last time. Maybe they weren't registered last time, or didn't live in Maine, or they were registered to vote in Maine, but didn't bother showing up to vote in the 2016 election. So, for whatever reason... Okay, so there were 56,413 more of that group casting votes in 2020 than 2016. So, hey, not bad. we are already got more than half of our voter pool filled. Okay, what else we got? Well, there's another category that they have that counts blank votes. So a ballot was cast, but for whatever reason, the person didn't cast a vote for president. Maybe they hated all the options and decided to skip it, but still voted down ballot, or maybe they accidentally voted for two people and the person inspecting decided to mark it blank, or the circle wasn't filled in enough so the machine didn't count it correctly. And in 2016, nearly 24,000 presidential votes were marked as blank, Uh, and for 2020, that number had dropped to a little under 9,000 blank presidential ballots. That's a drop of over 60% in the number of ballots marked blank between 2016 and 2020. And it works out to be an additional 15,121 additional ballots we can add to our pool of voters that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump because they didn't have their vote counted at all. So, for some reason, somehow, blank ballots were more prevalent in 2016 than 2020. In fact, in 2016, over 3% of presidential ballots were marked as blank. And in 2020, that number is down to just over 1%. And that's with an increase in voter turnout. So now, let's add those 56,000-plus voters that didn't even cast a ballot, let alone vote for president in 2016, and combine them with the over 15,000 additional votes not marked as blank this time. And now we got 71,534 voters hanging out in our voter pool. So we're almost there. That's almost enough to explain Biden's growth, but it wouldn't leave anything behind to explain Trump's additional voters. Luckily, we still got a few places we can pull voters from for our pool. And what we got next are voters that voted third party in 2016, but decided to vote for either Trump or Biden this time around. And I got this category broken into three groups. The Libertarians, the Greens, and other, which is everyone else. So we'll start with the Libertarians. In 2016, Gary Johnson got over 38,000 votes in Maine. This time they ran Joe Jorgensen, who didn't do nearly as well, uh, just a little over 14,000 votes. So that's a difference of 24,034. So 24,034 people that voted Libertarian last time didn't vote Libertarian this time. So that's 24,034 more votes that we can add to our voter pool, bringing the total to 95,568 voters in our voter pool. And it's the same idea with the Green Party. Stein got a little over 14,000 in 2016. And Howard Hawkins didn't do as good in 2020. He got a little under 8,500. And the exact difference between the two was 5,894. So that's 5,894 people that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump last time that we can now add to our voter pool. So which now has 101,462. So we needed a voter pool big enough to hold 102,248, so our voter pool is almost full. And the only other category we have got to pull from are the remaining third-party options. In 2016, 2,260 people cast a ballot for a candidate, but it was for neither the Republicans, Democrats, Greens, or Libertarians. And in 2020, that number was 1,286 voters deciding to vote for neither of those four political parties. So that means 973 that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump last time that we can now add to our voter pool. Bringing our total pool size to 102,481. The exact amount necessary to explain both Biden's and Trump's additional voters over 2016. And the pool's a mix. 55% of the pool is filled with voters that didn't vote last time. 15% of voters that had been counted as blank last time, 23% voted Libertarian last time, and let's see, oh yeah, 6% had voted Green, and that final 1% of our voter pool is from folks that voted for some other third party than those other two. So that's the mix of voters that Biden and Trump have to pull from to get the turnout each ended up getting. It represents all the voters Biden and Trump got this time that Clinton and Trump didn't get last time. And statewide, Biden gets 75.5% of our voter pool. Trump gets 24.5%. And on paper, it basically looks like Trump's growth comes from voters that had voted Libertarian combined with voters that picked some other third-party option in 2016. And Biden got all the people that didn't vote at all last time the drop-in-blank votes, and the former Green Party voters. Now, the numbers don't line up exactly, but that's effectively what it looks like when you compare two pie charts, but the Libertarians and other third-party options isn't quite enough to explain Trump's statewide growth numbers. So, basically, just picture that the group of folks that didn't vote at all last time, there were over 58,000 of them, so Trump would have needed a little over a 1,000 of those voters to get what he got, and then Biden would have got the rest. And I'm just using voters that didn't vote last time as an example. They could have come from the drop-in-blank ballots, or the Greens, I guess, or probably some mix of all three categories, and then the rest voted for Biden. So now we know how big the voter pool is, and effectively we know something about the political persuasion of those voters, but this is at the state level. It doesn't tell us where they came from, only how many there are. So what I've gone and done is figured out the exact size and mix of the voter pool for every single county, city, and town in the state of Maine. And I'm going to upload this data to the website so that anyone can go and see exactly where these additional Biden-Trump voters came from and who they voted for last time. As well as a bunch of other data that breaks down Maine's 2020 presidential results in ways you won't be able to view anywhere else. Data on all the candidates, not just the top two. Both hard numbers and percentage breakdowns. If you want to see exactly how the results break down anywhere in Maine, you can go check it out. Uh, Here today, I am not going to go over everything that the data lays out. It would take forever and be pretty boring to listen to. Uh, So instead, I'm going to focus on the top five counties where Biden's record-breaking support came from. All right, they're Cumberland, York, Kennebec, Penobscot, and Androscoggin. These five counties represent 74% of where Biden's record-breaking support came from. So they should give us a pretty good idea of what happened. And for anyone that wants to look where that remaining 26% came from or where Trump support came from or even how the results in your own community broke down, then go check out that data I put up at the and you can see for yourself. The other number I'm going to be mentioning is the actual popular vote results. Uh, I've got that vote for every county, city, and town too. So we'll be able to see if the voter pool results reflect the popular vote results for the counties and towns. And for a few of the towns, we'll also compare their results for presidential compared to the down-ballot state house races. Nine state house districts flipped Republican, and the Democrats didn't gain any. And it just so happens that a few of those nine districts overlap with those five counties. And I ran those numbers on those flipped districts so we can compare those to the presidential results, too. Uh, first off, uh, I want to deal with the UOCABA ballots. It's an acronym. It stands for Uniformed and Overseas Citizens Absentee Voter Act. And the act itself is basically a set of federal protocols on how to provide and process ballots from active military uh, stationed overseas and federal employees working overseas. And the way Maine had decided to do it is when they process these ballots for the presidential vote here, they don't bother splitting them up into the towns that these overseas voters actually claim residency. It's reported as its own separate category in the state's presidential tally results. They do break them up for the state senate and state house uh races, but we can't see, for example, how the enlisted men and women stationed overseas that claim residency in, say, Bangor, they don't know they don't show which presidential candidate Uokava ballots from Bangor picked, only their state, Senate, and House totals. Uh all right, so in Maine there were five thousand seven hundred and seventy one uniformed and overseas citizen ballots cast for president. And 4,599 of them, so about 80%, went for Joe Biden. Which is pretty impressive. Especially since in 2016, Maine only had 4,049 UOCAVA ballots cast at all. So Biden got more votes for uniformed and overseas citizens in 2020 than there were UOCAVA ballots cast in 2016. So big support for Biden from Maine's active military, apparently. Trump came away with 14.5% of the UOCAVA vote. Works out to be about 838 total votes, which is actually almost a 30% increase from what he got for UOCAVA votes in 2016. But Biden's vote total was so huge at these overseas ballots that it just didn't matter. Those are the popular vote results for Maine's UOCAVA ballots. Now let's look at the UOCAVA voter uh, pool. That number of voters representing folks that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump in 2016. Alright, 1,772 more UOCAVA ballots were cast for Trump and Biden in 2020 than they had cast for Trump and Clinton in 2016. So they got a voter pool of 1,772. And 89% of those votes went to Joe Biden. Trump got about 11% of the UOCAVA voter pool and nearly all of those ballots, like 1,722 of them, were from people that hadn't voted last time or at least hadn't voted with the Ocaba ballot. I honestly wouldn't have guessed that Maine's Armed Forces community would be willing to support Biden with such high numbers, and it got me to wondering if this overwhelming support for Biden carried down ballot, or were uniformed and overseas citizens simply upset with Trump, but didn't necessarily vote Democrat in other races. So I decided to look at the popular vote results for some of the down ballot races to see how Maine's uniformed and overseas federal employees voted down ballot. So in the U.S. Senate race, Susan Collins versus Sarah Gideon, plus a couple of independents. Okay, so Susan Collins got about 19% of the uniformed and overseas votes. The challenger, Sarah Gideon, got over 70%, with the third-party candidates getting the rest. So think about that for a minute. Senator Collins, who serves in more than one Department of Defense subcommittee, can barely get 19% support from her enlisted and federally employed constituents deployed overseas. But maybe it wasn't Susan Collins' fault entirely, because this trend does seem to continue right down ballot. In the first Congressional House District race, Pingree got over 83% of the Uokawa votes compared to her Republican opponent, who got barely 14%. And it was the same thing in the second Congressional District race uh, against Democrat incumbent Jared Golden and Republican challenger Dale Crafts. Golden got over 75% of the Uokawa votes cast in that race, and Crafts got a little over 21%. And then in the state Senate and House races, it's much the same. I went through all 35 Senate districts, and not a single one saw the majority of its UOKAPA ballots go to support the Republican candidate. Not one. And most of them weren't even close. Talking like 75 to 80% of the Democrat versus 15 to 30% for the Republican. Even in Republican held districts, the majority of UOKAPA ballots were for the Democrats. It's nearly the same thing in the state House. Democrat candidates won the majority of the UOCAVA ballots cast within their district, and a lot of them broke the same way, around 70-75 for Dems and 25-30 to 30 for the Republican. But unlike the Senate, at least a few Republican House candidates did get a majority support from the UOCAVA ballots cast in their district. But out of 151 districts, that only happened 7 times. And when the majority did go toward the Republican, it was more evenly split. So maybe 52% Republican to 48% Democrat, instead of that 70-30 split in favor of Democrats that we see in the other districts. There were a couple of other districts that were UOCAVA ballots broke exactly 50-50, and two other districts where the independent candidate got the majority of UOCAVA votes. But in the instances of those uh, independent candidates, it was against the Republican there was no Democrat running. The remaining 144 House districts, the majority of UOCABA ballots cast within each of those districts were for the Democrat candidate. And in many, just like the state Senate results, it wasn't even close. Many had the Democrats getting anywhere between 70 to 80%, some getting 90% of the UOCABA ballots cast within their district. And there were at least one House district that 100% of the UOCABA ballots went for the Democrat. Uh, it was House District 32, which is part of South Portland and Cape Elizabeth. So I'd say it's safe to say that the vast majority of uniformed and overseas citizens from Maine overwhelmingly voted for Joe Biden and then voted a straight Democrat ticket. That's what the data shows. Alright, so those are the UOCAVA ballots. They make up a pretty small percentage of the voter pool we put together earlier, but it's important to know what's up with them. Alright, back to explaining where the majority of our voter pool came from along with where Biden's record-breaking support came from. Probably not a surprise that Cumberland County played a big role. Of the 102,000-plus voters in our statewide voter pool, 25,778 are from Cumberland County. That's the most of any other county, and Portland alone had 5,252 voters from that pool that hadn't voted for either Clinton or Trump last time. And so... Portland actually made up a larger percentage of that 77,000-plus voters Biden got over Clinton than most of Maine's counties. Besides Cumberland County, which Portland is in, the only counties to get more than the city of Portland were York and Kennebec. And Kennebec just barely. The remaining 13 counties all produced fewer new Biden voters than Portland did. In fact, if you add the three biggest contributors to Biden's bump over Clinton, it's Portland, South Portland, and Scarborough together... These three neighboring communities gave Joe Biden more than 10,000 extra votes that they didn't give Clinton. 10,000 extra votes right there. And looking back at Cumberland County as a whole, the pool of Cumberland County voters that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump last time, but voted for either Biden or Trump this time, over 93% of that voter pool went to Joe Biden, which is, so it's a little over a third of the votes Biden got over Clinton ended up coming from Cumberland County. And with the exception of Fry Island, every other city and town in Cumberland County had the majority of that voter pool going to Joe Biden. In four communities, Cape Elizabeth, Portland, South Portland, and Yarmouth, they all had over 100% of their community's voter pool going to Biden. Which means that not only did Trump not pick up any voters in those communities, he lost some to Joe Biden. The other thing these communities have in common is that the number of Libertarian voters they lost is more than the number of Trump voters they lost. So, Yarmouth, for example. Trump lost 64 votes in Yarmouth. And the Libertarian candidate lost 157 voters. So, either the number of Trump voters that flipped Biden is actually way higher than the numbers would suggest in order to outweigh the additional Libertarian voters that went for Trump this time. It's either that, or a bunch of former Libertarian voters voted for Joe Biden this time. In Portland, Trump lost 303 voters from 2016. And the Libertarian candidate lost 707 voters. And so it's the same thing. The only way to explain Biden's additional 5,252 voters he got over Clinton in Portland requires those former Trump and Libertarian voters to have voted for him. It's either that or Trump lost even more votes than it looks to outweigh the additional Libertarian voters he picked up. Now, something sort of similar happens in a number of other Cumberland County communities that did get more Trump voters but it didn't have enough to absorb the drop in Libertarian voters. So in places like Freeport, for example, Trump gained 31 votes, and Libertarians lost 154 votes. So let's assume that all of Trump's additional voters came from former Libertarian voters. That leaves 123 former Libertarian voters that apparently decided to vote for Joe Biden this time around. It was the same thing in Westbrook. Trump picks up 18 more votes than he had in 2016, and the Libertarian candidate lost 312 voters. So, even if all 18 Trump votes came from the former Libertarians, we still got 294 former Libertarian voters that voted for Joe Biden this time. That happened in 10 different Cumberland County communities, where the former Libertarian voters outweigh the new Trump voters, with the rest voting for Joe Biden instead. Countywide, libertarians Libertarians uh, lost 4,450, but only gained 1,875 Trump voters. Now, the bulk of Cumberland's voter pool, about 19,000 of them, hadn't voted at all in 2016. And if Trump had actually picked up any of those new voters, it means an even larger number of Libertarians would have voted for Biden than even the numbers suggest. Now, no other county in Maine dropped in Trump voters. Some of the towns and cities lost Trump voters, but looking at the county as a whole, Cumberland was the only one to lose Trump voters. It definitely did happen throughout the state, really not so much in the rural areas, But places like Bath and Lewiston, Bangor, Biddeford, and all those cities, Trump lost voters. And the surge in Biden voters those cities had would have needed to include all the former Trump voters and former Libertarian voters in order to explain Biden's support. But then there were entire counties where that never happened because every single town picked up Trump voters. Oxford County is one example, and York County is another York County had the second largest pool of voters that didn't vote for Clinton or Trump in 2016, but then decided to vote for either Biden or Trump in 2020. Their voter pool was 19,759 voters, and over 77.5% of those votes went to Joe Biden. Trump got a little under 22.5% of those voters, but that works out to be 4,414 extra votes for Trump over 2016. No Maine County added more Trump voters than York County. But the support for Biden swamped it. 15,345 additional Biden voters over Clinton's York County results. Now, the other thing about York County is that they had two state House districts flip Republican. District 7 and District 10. And in District 7, so Wells, even though the popular vote went for the Republican state House candidate, the Wells popular vote for president went for Joe Biden. Now, Clinton won Wells last time, and Trump's 2020 gains was enough to beat her 2016 results. But it wasn't enough to beat the boost Biden got from that pool of voters that didn't vote for Clinton or Trump last time, but picked Biden or Trump this time. 69% went for Joe Biden. So, even though Trump picked up more than enough to beat what Clinton got last time, it wasn't close to enough to catch Biden. But despite all of that, the state House still flipped Republican. This surge of Biden voters... Ended up helping a Republican State House candidate get elected and flipping the district. Biden brings out this surge of support, but it apparently hurts Democrats down ticket. Why did all these new Biden voters end up voting for the Republican State House candidate? Now, what might make sense <clears throat> is if it were true that a bunch of former Libertarian voters went, voted for Joe Biden, it might make sense that they picked a Republican for the State House. But in the case of Wells, there weren't that many Libertarian voters lost. It wasn't like a lot of those Cumberland County towns, because in Wells and many other York County towns, the gain in Trump voters was more than enough to explain where the drop in Libertarian voters went. Now, it wasn't Libertarians that picked Joe Biden and then voted for uh, the Republican for the State House. Biden's surge of support in Wells uh, most likely came from the over 1,200 Wells voters that didn't vote at all in 2016, newly registered voters, and folks that didn't bother to show up at all last time. They were the ones that voted for Biden. A similar thing happened in District 10, too, the other York County state house uh, district that flipped. This one has Arundel, Dayton, and Lyman. This one was a little different. First off, Trump won the popular vote in Dayton and Lyman, but Biden got the popular vote in Arundel. And that's pretty much how it was in 2016, too. Arundel went Clinton, and the other two went Trump. Now, despite two of those towns going for Trump... The pool of voters that didn't vote for Clinton or Trump in 2016, but did vote for Biden or Trump this time, Biden got the majority of those voters, even in Lyman and Dayton, towns where Trump carried the popular vote. It just wasn't enough to outweigh Trump's margin of victory over Clinton and what boost he did get from the pool of voters. So again, just like Wells, despite the majority of that voter pool going to Biden, their state House district flipped Republican. So these three towns see a surge in people voting for Democrat presidential candidate, but the majority end up voting for the Republican State House candidate. Alright, so Cumberland and York County combined represent about forty three percent of where Biden's gains over Clinton came from. The rest, including the three we're going to go over, all had less than ten percent of where Biden's surge came from. Most had less than five percent of Biden's surge. So alright, Cumberland, York, now, the county with the third largest pool of voters that didn't vote for Clinton or Trump last time but voted for Biden or Trump this time was Kennebec County. Now, it's a distant third. 8,646 voters, so less than half of what York County brought to the table, and Biden got 65% of Kennebec's voter pool that Trump's 35%. So that also makes it where the third most number of Trump voters uh, compared to 2016 came from. And in addition to all that, If we look at the 2016 popular vote results for all 16 counties, they split right in half. Eight for Clinton and eight for Trump. The only county that's different, the only one to flip, was Kennebec County. Kennebec's popular vote had gone to Trump in 2016, but this time it flipped to Joe Biden. That's the only county that flipped in Maine. Kennebec's pool of voters had 8,646 voters that decided to pick either Biden or Trump this time around, and Biden got 65% of them. Works out to be exactly 5,600 additional votes Biden got that Clinton didn't get in 2016. Uh, Trump picked up an additional 3,046 votes in Kennebec County, so 35% of Kennebec's pool. And despite losing the popular vote this time around, Trump did actually pick up an extra 9.5% more votes in Kennebec County than he did in 2016. But Biden got 19% more than Clinton, so more than enough to make up for how much Clinton lost by last time and to erase the boost uh, Trump got this time. But even though the county flipped, it was still really close. Biden got 48.1% and Trump had 47.8%. So separate by 181 votes, a margin of victory of 0.2% for Kennebec County. And considering how close the race was in Kennebec, it's probably also worth noting that there were over 750 blank presidential ballots in Kennebec County. So, more than enough to have changed the countywide popular vote had they all been included in that final tally. So, which towns flipped in Kennebec County? Well, there were actually only two towns that flipped for Biden Manchester, where Trump won by 23 votes last time but lost by 22 votes this time, and Mount Vernon where Trump won by 17 last time, but lost by 16 this time. And there was actually another town that flipped. It was Rome, except that they flipped for Trump. Clinton won Rome by 14 votes last time, but this time Biden lost by 10 votes. So even though the county's popular vote flipped for Biden, most didn't budge. Which means that even though the county's popular vote went for Trump, the majority of the communities, so 19 out of 28, still backed Donald Trump. So it wasn't that a bunch of towns and cities flipped in Kennebec County. What happened was that places like Augusta, or even Augusta specifically really, 71% of the Augusta voter pool went to Joe Biden, and 81% of Waterville's voter pool went to Biden. And that's really how Biden uh, flipped Kennebec County. It wasn't a countywide shift left. It was that Waterville and Augusta had hundreds and hundreds of voters turn out for Biden that hadn't turned out for either Clinton or Trump last time. To be clear, all the pro-Biden towns added to his final total, but it was really Augusta and Waterville that made the flip possible. The other thing is that, even though Trump held most of those Kennebec towns, the pool of voters that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump last time, most of those voters within each of those communities continued to follow the trend in other towns and cities by favoring Biden, but there were at least six communities that Trump actually did get the majority of that voter pool. So it wasn't quite as one-sided as we've seen in the other places. The other thing worth noting here, too, is that Kennebec County is the only county that is split between the 1st and 2nd congressional districts. Uh, in the part in the 1st district, tended to go for Joe Biden. and the towns in the 2nd district, tended to prefer Trump. Now, the thing with the Libertarians voting for Biden that, like we saw in Cumberland, and did happen all over York, too, uh, just not in those flip districts, doesn't really happen at all in Kennebec. The increase Trump got within each city and town was enough to absorb their drop in Libertarian voters. So, that also means that the bulk of those new Biden voters come from people that hadn't voted at all in 2016. Waterville was the exception. That city would have needed to have Libertarians voting Biden to pull off what he got there. And Waterville, along with Augusta actually, they each got a boost from having far less presidential ballots marked blank this time around, Waterville went from having about 3% of their ballots marked blank to 1% being blank in 2020. And really, this happened in every town in Kennebec, not just Waterville and Augusta. A similar rate drop of the total number of ballots marked blank from 3% to around 1%. It's just that this means hundreds more votes to places like Waterville and Augusta, while it's maybe a couple dozen or less in the smaller towns. Alright, two counties left. Uh, Next up is Penobscot. They contributed the fourth most of any county to that 77,000-plus voters Biden got over Clinton. And incidentally, Penobscot came in second for the number of voters contributed to Trump's additional 25,000 he got over 2016. Trump carried this county last time. And despite over 60% of that voter pool of voters that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump last time, decided to go with Biden this time. It wasn't enough to flip the county, but the way it went down, it still looks a lot like what happened in Kennebec. Out of around, around 68 different cities, towns, and townships, uh, Savoy, Plantation, and Hamden were the only Penobscot communities that flipped from 2016, and they both flipped for Joe Biden. In Savoy Plantation, Trump got the same 19 votes he got in 2016, and then six people that hadn't voted last time voted this time, and all six voted for Joe. And that was enough to beat Trump's 19 votes. And in Hamden, a much larger community outside Bangor, Trump picked up another 162 votes from what he got in 2016, but Biden brought in 522 more votes than what Clinton had gotten in Hamden. And so Biden wins. But it's just barely. His margin of victory in Hamden, even with those 500 plus extra votes in, was under 200 votes. Besides those two that flipped, Trump carried all the same communities he did last time, and Biden carried the same Clinton got. And broken down this way, out of like 68 Penobscot County communities that held elections, ignoring the two that flipped, there were only three other Penobscot County communities that gave their popular vote to Hillary Clinton in 2016 and Joe Biden in 2020. Bangor, Orono, Old Town, and the Penobscot Nation. And if you're not familiar with those places, Bangor is Bangor, Maine's Queen City along with the Penobscot River, Orono abuts to the north and is home to Humane, Old Town is on the other side of Orono and is home to thousands of Humane students living off campus, and Penobscot Nation is home to a large contingent of Penobscot tribe members just north of Old Town. The remaining 60 plus communities voted for Trump last time, and they voted for Trump this time too. The other thing about Penobscot is that they had a house district flipped, District 143, It's East Millinocket, Millinocket, Medway, Patton, a couple of townships, and not only did they flip, but unlike the districts that flipped down in York and Kennebec, Trump actually got more support than the Republican state house candidates that were down ballot, and Biden got less than the Democrat state house candidate uh, down ballot. So it's the exact opposite scenario that we were seeing play out in the southern counties. And the libertarian issue comes up a few times, but it's not nearly as prevalent. Most of these places picked up more than enough new Trump voters to absorb the drop in Libertarian voters. There are a couple exceptions, and a big one is Brewer. Brewer is directly across the river from Bangor, and they lost 17 Trump votes, and had 170 less Libertarian voters. And so, it's like I was saying earlier. Either a bunch of Libertarians voted for Trump, or more people switched from Trump to Biden than what the data suggests. So, in Brewer... Biden got 100% of those voters that hadn't voted for either Clinton or Trump last time. They actually got over 100% technically since Trump lost voters to Joe Biden. Now, what separates Brewer from those southern communities is who those Biden voters are. In the South, the Libertarians are there in the mix. But the bulk of that voter pool I keep referring to, in the South, it was mainly made up of people that hadn't voted at all in 2016, newly registered voters, or folks that skipped it altogether. And then the Libertarian voters contributed. But that's not what happened in Brewer. Biden picked up 368 voters out of that pool of voters that didn't vote for Clinton or Trump last time. But only 28 of them were people that didn't vote at all last time. So not even close to explaining his Brewer gains. Biden's gains in Brewer came mainly from two groups. The biggest is that group of lost Libertarian voters I just talked about. 170 of those folks in Brewer. And then the second largest was from the 66% uh, drop in the number of marked blank ballots the city saw. There were 160 ballots marked blank in Brewer's presidential vote in 2016. That number was cut to 54 in the last election. And that reduction in blank votes played a big role in getting the number Biden got in Brewer. And I think that only happened in two other Penobscot communities, Hamden and Greenbush. In both those towns, the drop-in marked-blank ballots from 2016 was more than the number of votes that didn't vote at all in 2016. But neither of those towns uh, also lost Trump voters, like Brewer did. But even with all of that, Trump's support was so strong in Brewer that he still got the city's popular vote, 1 by 35 votes. So it was still close. Okay, now, even though Trump swept uh, both the countywide popular vote in Penobscot County and the popular vote within nearly all of the towns themselves... The majority of voters in that pool, that pool of voters that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump last time, but picked Biden or Trump this time, countywide, Biden gets 60% of those votes in Penobscot. So that means 4,874 of Biden's 77,000 plus votes he got over Clinton came from Penobscot County alone. All right, that's Penobscot. Let's deal with Anderscoggin. And in Anderscoggin County, of all those voters that didn't pick Clinton or Trump last time, but picked either Biden or Trump this time, 81.5% 81.5% of that voter pool went for Joe Biden. Works out to be another 4,608 more votes Biden got over Clinton and those were somewhat spread out across the county. Out of 14 uh, communities, only Green and Livermore Falls saw that voter pool sway for Trump, but even still 67% of those voters in Anderson County that didn't vote for Clinton or Trump last time, but voted for Biden or Trump this time, came from just three communities. Lewiston, Auburn, and Lisbon. Those three alone gave him a little over 3,000 extra votes Clinton didn't get. And even though Lisbon had the third most from that voter pool in the county, their popular vote still went for Trump. The extra Biden voters wasn't enough to flip the town. The extra Biden got in Auburn, however, that was enough to flip them. Auburn and Durham, they were the only two in inner County that flipped. They voted Trump last time and went Biden this time. For Auburn, Biden got 93.5% of their voter pool. And again, in Auburn, like a bunch of the other main cities, we have a lot of former Libertarian voters that either voted Trump, but were cancelled out by former Trump voters switching to Biden, or all these Libertarian voters went for Biden this time. Maybe some mix of both options. And then there were a couple hundred less blank ballots recorded in Auburn too. And a couple hundred voters that didn't vote at all last time, all apparently voting for Joe Biden this time. And across the river, Lewiston was the only Anderson community that preferred both Clinton and Biden over Trump. And Lewiston was a big win for Biden. Uh, beat Trump by nearly 2,400 votes. Picked up almost 1,400 more votes in Lewiston than Clinton got in 2016. Trump barely picked up another 1,000 votes from Anderson County. And yet, despite all that, Biden only flipped two communities. And Trump, he got both the countywide popular vote, the popular vote within 11 of the county's 11 communities, Six of those towns flipped their state Senate district to Republican. Four of the nine state House districts that flipped Republican statewide were either in or overlapped with Androscoggin County, including one in Auburn and one in Lewiston. In most of those communities that voted Trump, it wasn't like we've seen in the other four counties where Trump won by a couple of percentage points or less. Trump crushed Biden in those communities. Nine of them gave Trump at least 55%, and a few of them were 60% or more. Biden lost outside of Lewis and Auburn, and yet somehow, for some reason, when we look at that pool of voters that didn't vote for either Clinton or Trump last time, but voted for Biden or Trump this time, Biden crushes it. He gets the majority of that pool of voters in all but two communities, Livermore Falls and Green. Otherwise, in the remaining 12 communities, Biden was getting numbers like we'd seen in the other communities from other counties. Biden got 70% or more in seven of those towns. Lewiston was over 100% since they were the only one to lose Trump voters. And Lewiston is another main city where either there were a bunch of Libertarians that decided to vote for Joe Biden, or way more Trump voters switched to Biden than the numbers suggest. In this case, it would have to be around 700 Trump voters switching to Biden in order to explain where the Libertarian voters and the drop in Trump voters went, or Some 600 former Libertarian voters went and voted for Biden. Lewiston also had this thing happen that happened in nearly every community I've looked at so far. Their number of ballots marked as blank dropped. Brought in a couple hundred ballots that wouldn't have been included in 2016. It worked out to be more than the total number of people that had registered to vote since 2016 or simply didn't bother to vote last time at all. All right, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. I set out to figure out where exactly Biden's record-breaking support in Maine came from, and I think now it's pretty clear. 74% came from just five of Maine's 16 counties, Cumberland, York, Kennebec, Penobscot, and Anderscoggin. With those, within those five counties, Biden's supporters in the urban centers is where his biggest numbers came from. In fact, unlike Barack Obama's previous record, Biden didn't have nearly as much rural or even suburban support. He just had big numbers in what cities Maine actually has. I mean, Obama carried the second district. Biden didn't do that. He could barely carry half of Maine's 16 counties, but apparently he got enough urban votes to make up for it. And then, what these cities, towns, and townships do have in common really just raises more questions. Like, why does it seem that so many libertarians statewide decided they preferred Joe Biden over Donald Trump? Out of every city, in town, township, in Maine, there were only four townships that gave the Libertarians more in 2020 than 2016. Combined, they totaled six votes. But the Libertarians lost 24,000 across every every other community in Maine. And why are the top five counties to lose Libertarians happen to also be the top five counties to where Biden's biggest boost over Clinton came from? Cumberland, York, Kennebec, Penobscot, and Aroostook in that order. Now, all of that is certainly possible. But knowing what I know about Libertarians, I just find it highly unlikely. Also, I'm really interested in why nearly every single city, town, and township in Maine went from having around 3% of their total presidential votes cast being reported as blank in 2016, and then nearly all of them saw that rate drop to around 1% of total votes cast this time around. These places were looking at a 50, 60, 70% reduction in the recorded blank ballots, some even more than that, It meant dozens of extra votes in towns and townships across the state, hundreds more in Maine cities, and again... Entirely possible, but why? Was there some legitimate and deliberate effort to see that rate reduced statewide? And what's even more perplexing is, why didn't that happen with the votes cast for statehouse candidates? Those were all still around 3%. And a lot of those are in towns or voting districts that the elections were decided by less than 1% of ballots cast. So why are those ballots being counted for the presidential election, but not for those state house races? And let's not forget about Susan Collins and the UOCAVA ballots. Susan Collins, Maine's longtime senator, member of numerous defense subcommittees, got less than 20% from Maine's uniformed and federal employees overseas. And apparently, Maine's uniformed and federal employees overseas overwhelmingly vote a straight Democrat ticket. Even for state house district candidates and candidates that got crushed in the popular vote, UOCAVA ballots almost always weigh the final results for the Democrat candidate. And again, just like those blank ballots, sometimes those totals are more than the margin of victory. Now, best case scenario, there are reasonable explanations for all these questions. As well as for a few anomalies in some of the other counties that I just don't have time to get into. Worst case scenario, there was something else at play. Something that would have affected Maine's final election results. That there was a deliberate effort to change UOCAVA votes to straight-ticket Democrat or to adjust blank ballots statewide in favor of Biden. That there's something suspicious of so many former Libertarian voters turning for Joe Biden, or that statewide, in nearly every single city, town, and township, Biden got the vast majority of voters that hadn't voted for Clinton or Trump last time, but did vote for Biden or Trump this time. Even in towns that had very few newly registered voters, or voters that didn't vote at all last time, their drop dropping Libertarian voters in total recorded blank ballots would make up for it, and Biden would still get the majority of that voter pool. Or how about that, despite pulling off the largest win in Maine's history, it didn't seem to help the state races. In fact, it seems to have hurt since the Democrats lost nine state house seats and the Republicans won nine. And Collins, Republican Susan Collins, pulled off a win that I don't even think her own party thought was going to happen. But somehow, she got enough rural Maine votes to outnumber Gideon's urban Maine votes. And really, the fact that he beat Obama's record, I remember that election, and the outreach his campaign had done, not just in the urban centers, but out in the rural parts too. All the TV appearances and campaign rallies, the huge support he got in Maine's caucuses, Hillary supporters were being shouted down, it was wild, people were so excited for him. They weren't voting against John McCain, they were voting for Barack Obama, and it carried him to a record-breaking victory that Joe Biden apparently broke by campaigning very little keeping his TV appearances to a minimum, answering very few questions from the media, working with a far smaller coalition of voter bases through the primaries, all things that would have doomed a candidate in any other election, but apparently had no effect this time. In fact, it was a record-breaking strategy that should be studied for years to come. Really, from a purely scholarly perspective, it's fascinating. It all seems so hard to believe. In fact, I don't believe it. Or at least, I still have some serious questions. I'm reminded of a quote. I think it's attributed to Joseph Stalin, and I'm paraphrasing here. Elections aren't decided by voters. They're decided by who counts the votes. So who's counting the votes in Maine? Or maybe rather, what's counting the votes in Maine? Well, if you live in a community with more than 1,000 registered voters, the Secretary of State's office offers the community a ballot tabulator machine. These machines are used in well over half of Maine's 500 communities And the rest hand-count them. Now, there are a few different companies that make ballot tabulators. And the ones Maine uses are the DS200s. These are made by Election Systems and Software, a.k.a. ES&S. And Maine doesn't actually own those machines. They lease them. And technically, I guess Maine leases two types of machines. They lease around 500 of those DS200s. And they also lease a DS850. This one is kept at the Secretary of State's office and used to count ballots when the election goes to rank choice. They can program it specifically on how to deal with Maine's rules and then process a huge stack really quickly. Okay, so we're not dealing with the DS-850 today. We're focusing on this DS-200. Those are the machines responsible for counting around 90% of Maine's ballots. Um, now, one of the first things I came across was a Portland Press-Herald article It's titled, How Do Maine's Voting Machines Work? Can They Be Hacked? This was published just this past October leading up to the election. And I just want to quote a piece here. This is talking a little about how the machines actually work. Quote, Programming in the machine is specific to the ballot for your election district and allows the machine to determine which candidates you have selected. The machine captures a digital image of your ballot as it's scanned, And this data is stored on a proprietary thumb drive device. It's not the kind of thumb drive you could pop into your laptop to transfer data. End quote. Alright, so that statement, published by the Portland Press-Herald in October, that statement is false. The programming in the machine is specific to the ballot and voting precinct it's in. So not every machine in Maine is programmed the same. That's true. Each of the voting districts using one or more of these machines in Maine receives programming specific to which congressional district, state house, and state senate districts it's in, or even local elections and referendums that the tabulator will have to sort. That the machine captures a digital image as it's scanned, that's a half-truth. What I mean by that is that the machines are entirely capable of doing that, making a digital image of every single scanned ballot, but Maine doesn't do that. According to checklists provided to election staff from the Secretary of State's office, this option was only activated for ballots that voted for a write-in candidate, and they took images of those so they could be reviewed and accurately tallied later. Nearest I can tell, those were the only main ballots getting a digital image from DS200s. And then the last part about these machines using a, quote, proprietary thumb drive, end quote, that's, quote, not the kind of thumb drive you could pop into your laptop to transfer data, end quote. Okay, that statement is entirely false. And I know this because I found and downloaded the user manual for a DS200. And in the manual, it clearly states, quote, The DS200 uses a USB flash drive to store the scanner's election definition, audit log, and other election-specific information. Data on the USB flash drive is updated each time the DS200 scans a ballot. Use USB flash drives with a memory capacity of 1 to 8 gigabytes. That's from the user manual. It's a regular USB port that can connect with any generic USB drive. The only security measure is that the port itself is under a locked panel on the machine. There's nothing proprietary about those thumb drives. They're normal thumb drives that anyone can get online or at a store. And additionally, the manual lays out that's not the only USB port the thing has. Because on the back of the machine, under a different panel, there's another USB port that the manual explains is for extra storage purposes. And again, nothing unique about the USB drives. And not all states are necessarily even using the extra USB port in the back. It's just another one of those included options. And actually, there's at least one security report I read uh, that identified at least three ports behind that back panel. So all sorts of storage options on that thing. And you may be wondering, or at least I'm certainly wondering, what sort of data is it transferring? Besides them being used for backup storage purposes, what else are they doing? Well, this is how it works. The USB drives have a few different purposes, but the main one is that it's it's basically telling the ballot tabulator what to do with the ballot when it's scanned. How the ballot should be tabulated and then tabulates and records the results. And the thing is supposed to be hitting save after each ballot is submitted. The USB device is also used to record any errors that happen or any administrator level changes made while in operation. They're used to make software updates, to print out results at the end of the day, how to count rejected ballots, what time to close the polls and stop counting, and also whether or not the poll can be reopened. All that sort of stuff. It's pulled from the USB drive. It's basically setting the rules for the tabulator, the manual uses the word definitions. It defines the jurisdiction, the candidates, and the ballot variations that that it'll see and how to sort them. But it can do other things, too. According to the manual, the definitions section has a customizable programming option. So, like, for example, the machines in Maine this past November, if you wrote in a writing candidate that wasn't a certified writing candidate, your ballot was put in the blank pile. And it did that because that USB drive was programmed to do that by the Secretary of State's office. Another thing our our tabulators are programmed to do? Well, apparently, when you're voting in a ranked choice vote race, you can leave your first choice blank. Like, if you don't think anyone deserves your first choice pick. Or maybe for some other reason. Well, that's okay because the USB drive is programmed to accept that ballot anyway. Now, if you leave more than one space blank then you start having issues. Your ballot will likely be rejected and you'll be asked if you want to correct it. And if you don't have time to go get another ballot and try again, then your ballot will end up counted as blank. Those are the rules or definitions that are coming from standard USB drives plugged into normal USB ports. And it's the Secretary of State's responsibility to deal with all of that, making sure each one is programmed correctly for the precinct that it's going to be used in and they have got a protocol to get the thing to the town clerk And there are rules on who and how the drive is handled before, during, and after the election and all that. Now, just to sort of expand on this a bit further. In Florida, they did a study. And this was back in 2009. They did a study looking at their 2008 presidential election results that ended up with a way higher than expected invalid vote rate. Like, really high. They figured out it was tied to people's ballots being marked as overvoting. So they voted for too many candidates. Overall, that rate went up 460% in Florida from the 2004 race. Looking just at the presidential uh, votes cast, they saw a 1,600% increase in ballots marked as overvoted, and thus invalid, they were marked blank. Now, Florida, at least back then anyway, they were using a few different voting machines. But what they found was that the DS200s, quote, was responsible for the great majority of the overvotes more than 8 in 10 of the state's overvotes during in-person voting occurred on the DS-200, even though it only served about 4 in 10 of the state's in-person voters. So of the 15,000 overvotes in Florida during in-person voting that year, more than 12,000 of them were uh, from those DS-200s. Alright, so now, the study speculates that the protocol on what the machine does when it flags a problem scanning a ballot, the DS-200... Tended to, dis- tended to discourage fixing the issue and encouraging just hitting a bright green override button that would end up making the problematic vote invalid and counted as blank. While the other machine they looked at did the opposite. The protocol tended to encourage going to fix the ballot. They also went into great detail about the types of visual cues used on the DS200's touch screen as opposed to what the other one was using. It's a pretty interesting breakdown I'll get a link up on the site for it. Um, And one thing the study doesn't really get into, though, is the fact that, that it was seen across the state, specifically where these DS200s were being used. It didn't matter if the county had used them already before or if they were new to the county. That rate spike was the same. And besides the visual cues all the DS200s share, they're also running off some of the same general definitions programmed into those USB drives, which, whether deliberate or not, would easily cause the problem experienced in counties using DS-200s, a problem that didn't happen where they weren't being used. Now, a few years later, there was a series of incidents in Ohio that, for some reason, the things would freeze up and shut down. And the reports show that they went back and forth with es for months, maybe, maybe more than a year, trying to get this problem fixed. And then, in February of 2011, the Federal Elections Assistance Commission, uh, a.k.a. EAC, started a formal investigation that, quote, focused on these anomalies, freeze shutdown, ballot skew, failure to log and vote miscount, end quote. And that investigation found a bunch of things wrong with the firmware running those machines. They found that they would miscount votes, that machine activity logs were not logging everything like they should, and that there were certain instances when the DS-200 would essentially freeze, crash, come back online but missing data. The report gets sort of technical, but it looks like for some reason it had something to do with the machine trying to open a Linux OS system, because apparently these things are capable of running different operating system options simultaneously. The report concluded that the DS200s, as they were, did not meet federal guidelines, and then made a bunch of firmware coding recommendations to try and help get the machines back in compliance. Okay, so that was a few years ago, but yeah, those are the machine's main uses. And those are the types of known issues they've had. And they're still dealing with software issues to this day. These things were initially designed with Windows 7 as the OS. But when Microsoft decided to stop doing security patches for Windows 7 back in 2019, it was a rush to try and get these DS200s upgraded to Windows 10. But they couldn't just send out updates because their plan, their schematic that requires federal approval before being sent out was something that was still being hammered out in late 2019. So they didn't just wait till the last minute, they waited till it was too late. They ended up pleading with Microsoft to keep doing security updates past their stop date just for those tabulators. And I'm not sure at this point where that issue stands. Alright, so a little further down in that same Portland Press Herald article, they asked the question of whether or not the DS200s can be hacked into or manipulated with over the internet. And they have a response from the Secretary of uh, State spokeswoman stating that, quote, No, ballot scanning machines in Maine are not connected to the internet, so there is no pathway from the web to the machine that would allow an outside hacker into the system, end quote. Okay, so I'm not sure that's true. And it's because the DS200s most certainly have online capabilities. They can either be hardlined or connected wirelessly. In fact, they've again caught the eye of the EAC because of the way they've been marketing this feature. Basically, what happened was that when they put the DS200 up for approval in 2009, they also proposed a hardline modem version and a wireless model. But then they rescinded those two applications around 2012 before an official decision could be made. And eventually they did get the updated standard DS200 approved. Now, what their being accused of doing is advertising the internet capabilities as an add-on component and they were advertising it in a way that was making election officials think that the internet connection options had federal approval but they did not and using a machine that had those capabilities turned on would disqualify it as a federally approved machine and potentially put the legality of an election in doubt in a state that requires that federally approved machine not all states do but Maine does And this is an ongoing issue that was far from settled before the election. Even as these wireless capabilities were officially being used across several states to transmit election results to central offices, the fallout from misrepresenting this product hasn't even hit the fan yet. And what the DS200s have in them, uh, it's not so much a wireless modem. What they really have in them is closer to how a cell phone works. So it connects to the internet. Researchers found in multiple states that it was using a standard Verizon wireless signal to do it. So it had something akin to a SIM card in the machine that allowed it on the Verizon network. And so one of the vulnerabilities was that a person could pretty easily hack into the machine from anywhere with an internet connection, just as any hack might occur with a computer or cell phone. Another scenario presented to federal agencies was that using a simple $250 antenna, a person could sit outside a polling station and pretend to be a cell phone tower. These things are normally used for people living too far away from a strong tower signal, so the thing acts as like a booster with what a signal they can catch, and then a computer a phone or whatever device connects to the booster antenna as if it were a cell phone tower. Okay, so someone sitting outside the polling station with one of those could easily get access to a DS200 and the information on those USB drives, could manipulate that information, can do anything they want, funnel the data through another country before being rerouted back to where it was supposed to go. All that is possible with a DS-200, if they have the wireless capability. And so, which DS-200 is main leasing? So, there's nothing I could find in Maine state law that would forbid the use of tabulator machines having internet capabilities. There is a lot outlined as to what the tabulator should do, mostly tied to making sure ballots are counted, but there is nothing on what it shouldn't do. And so it's left to the Secretary of State's office to set a lot of the guidelines on which machines to use and what functionality they should have or shouldn't have. And at this point, I haven't found those guidelines yet. That same spokeswoman, when asked if the machines have performance standards, responded that, quote, As part of its bidding process, the state requires vendors to supply voting machines that meet federal standards, which is fine. Except ES&S and its DS200 has a history of falling out of compliance and being punished for it. So yes, they meet federal standards, but then sometimes they're not meeting federal standards. And so, which machines are they leasing to maine exactly? Are we getting ones that are 100% don't have wireless hardware on board? Or are we getting machines that have those functions as an add-on, but that we're just not turning that part on? Just like making ballot images. You can choose to use that added function to copy everything copy only some things or to not use that function at all and just tabulate is it the same idea is the function there but just not turned on or do these things truly have no hardware that allows internet access what if someone plugs in a usb powered wireless modem or plugs a phone into it and make a hotspot is there anything in the programming itself to keep internet access impossible and even if the answer is that there is 100 percent zero chance that means ds200s can be online They don't even have the hardware to be wireless. And there's no programming even present to process internet protocols. There's still the risk that those USB drives pose. And well, here's something else about those USB drives that I touched on earlier. They all need to be individually programmed depending on where it's going. And part of the deal in getting these tabulators is that the Secretary of State has provided a separate machine that's used specifically for programming all those individual USB drives. So now the question becomes, how secure are those USB programming machines? Well, wouldn't you know it, es and and the DS200s have caught some flack on that front as well. And this was when a lot of these machines were first being installed around the country. So between 2000 and 2006. Okay, so during that period some of those centrally located usb programming machines like the one the secretary of state has while well, es s was having pc anywhere installed on some of them pc anywhere is a program i think mainly used by microsoft windows and it allows a person to have remote access via the internet to someone's computer laptop or even election programming equipment apparently Ideally, it's used for IT people to fix problems remotely, but hackers can and will and have used it to take over a person's computer remotely. And it was a program that they had been installing on certain customers' machines to better help with troubleshooting problems when programming the USB drives. And for some reason, this was something es s flatly denied doing at the time and for years later. They were adamant that their machines weren't connected to the internet but in 2018 ESNS admitted in a letter to a US congressman that they had installed PC anywhere on some of those centrally located USB programming machines but that they had stopped in 2007 when a federal rule changed and that they would not be sharing which states or districts were running PC anywhere and so now the question really becomes Is there any part of our election process that has internet functionality? Even if the DS200s aren't able to connect, what about the machine responsible for programming all those DS200s Spain uses? Is that able to connect to the internet? Because according to the company itself, they can. And honestly, this seems like a pretty basic question. But after looking through a bunch of past interviews and statements from the Secretary of State's office and Matt Dunlap specifically... I was surprised how rare this issue came up. In fact, the spokeswoman comment on the topic, a single paragraph in a longer article, that's the only thing I've come across that even attempts to address how secure the actual machines are. Not just that Press Herald article either, but a couple Sun Journal articles, a Channel 8 news report, and a main calling interview with Dunlap and Senator King. And none of them are concerns about the machines themselves discussed. The focus is always on ballot chain of custody and getting as many people to vote as possible. Nobody seems to ever question the machines that are doing the actual counting. Okay, I'm done. Going forward, there are a few more angles I'd like to look at in the data. One of the big ones is trying to figure out a way to divide up the voter pool category of voters that didn't vote last time. It's the biggest source of Biden's burst over Clinton, but it would be nice if I could split up the category into two groups. Newly registered voters and voters that just didn't bother showing up in 2016. Those two types of voters are in the same group, and, and it'd be a lot more informative if they were separated. If they hadn't already, as I've been finishing up this episode, the Secretary of State's office should be releasing some updated voter registration data for November. Once I get a look at that, I might be able to figure out something new. And they'll be releasing absentee voter data, too. I'd be curious to see how that data meshes up with what we already know. The other thing I'll probably have to keep digging at is, well, are these things hooked in the internet or not? That, there's clearly a version of the DS200s that can go online, and the machines that program all those USB drives can apparently go online too. I've got a few ideas on how I could figure out for sure, but one of them includes going to town and city halls and requesting to inspect their voter machines, so we'll see how things turn out. Something else I'll probably try to do is... I got the full list of every community that used one of those DS200s and every community that did a hand count. I might be able to do something similar to what they did in Florida a few years ago. I can compare the communities that used DS200s to the communities that counted by hand and see how the percentages compare. Like that blank ballot total, for example. So that's all the stuff I'm going to keep looking at. It might not be in the next episode. I got something else in the works for that. It should be done in a couple of weeks. Well, that's the plan anyway. Alright, that's all I got for today. Thanks for hanging out.